This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right. Yes, indeed. Make no mistake about it. This is brother from another, brother from another, even though BST Boston Sports Tonight is a fine program, uh, check it out on NBC Sports Boston, 10 p.m., Monday through Thursday, but this is brother from another, and I've got my tea today. We will make it through this show. It's Friday. I'm feeling good. I don't sound good, but I feel better than I sound, and on this Friday, we got a lot to get to. We'll talk some basketball later in the show with Kurt Heelan. We'll talk some football in a few minutes. One of the best football writers, insiders in the country, and Albert Breer, known him for a long time. Not only is he a great football insider when it's the NFL, he's a Buckeye. And I have, suspe- I have a special place for Buckeyes. He's a Buckeye. Uh, anyway, uh, a lot to talk about. Thanks for joining us. Listening on Sirius XM Channel 85, we appreciate you. Hope you're enjoying the show. Watching on YouTube, watching on Peacock TV, listening wherever you listen to podcasts. We're always happy to have some company, whether you're returning or you're new to the show. And I got to tell you, last night, this, this, trust me, this, this ties in to where we're going to start the show. Now, on Wednesday night, I told Jim Trotter, my wild Wednesday night, I was talking to a preacher about her book, uh, Sacred Fire. So I was talking about preaching on Wednesday night. Wild Wednesday night, talking about preaching. Ooh, you don't want to see me on a Wednesday night talking about preaching. But on last night, you know where I was? It was back to school night. Back to school night for my oldest. Uh, eighth grade. Remember eighth grade? Y'all remember eighth grade? So all those memories came flooding back last night. And and you go into back to school night. I don't know about y'all. I mean, maybe you got you know, straight A students and they're perfect. You don't have to remind them to do their homework and to write down things in their assignment book, but yeah, I, I, I was a little nervous. Hold on a second. Hang with me. I was a little nervous about uh, back to school night last night. Um, so I go into the building and, and everything's going pretty well until we start talking to the science teacher. Now the science teacher uh, is, is saying all sorts of things and, and I'm like, is this eighth grade or is this the first year of grad school? I mean, a lot of information. But then at one point he said something that clicked and reminded me of football. I wanted to be reminded of football because back to school night, you got to end at a certain time so I can catch Dolphins, Bengals. He said, look, this is the key to success. Here's the key to getting things done, parents. If you will check on your students' grades, if you check without, don't take their word for it, you check on their grades. And if you check on their grades, they will know they're accountable. They'll know you're watching and they'll have success. If you don't, well, they're just going to do what they're going to do. So it's up to you to see where this thing goes. And really, 
That's a word for the NFL. And that's a word for us as football fans. Because we had a situation last night in Cincinnati where Tua Tonga-Vailoa, who some people, hello, hello, some people thought he got a concussion on Sunday in Miami against Buffalo. Some people, hello, thought he shouldn't have played last night. But anyway, they told us about a back. They told us about an ankle. They looked at us like we were crazy, gaslighting. They looked at us like we were crazy when we talked about a concussion. We would never. Oh, there was nothing like that. We followed all the rules. Fast forward to Thursday night in Cincinnati, Tua Tungavailoa goes down, and it is one of the most haunting images I've seen in you in your football watching years, one of the most haunting images you've seen watching football. And it's not the first time. So we are all outraged today. We all have opinions. I've read them all. I've seen them all. Everybody takes it a step further. This is unacceptable. We can't have this. The league needs to do something, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you know what happens? If we stop watching, thank you, science teacher. If we stop watching, the NFL is going to do what it's going to do. It's up to us. If we continue to put pressure on the NFL, we continue to say, this, and you're seeing it right here, this, ooh, what a violent takedown. Not a, not a dirty play, but a violent takedown nonetheless. If we say, we, we're not eager, we're not so eager to get back to football that we will ignore some of the really disturbing things that we see on the field. And we're not so eager to get back to football that we'll take it at face value when a coach and Mike McDaniel, Mike McDaniel, you're just a proxy right now, bruh. You're just a proxy. It's not personal. There are coaches before you who have said what you said last night. There will be coaches after you who will say what you said last night. No, but that it keeps going. We're not so eager to listen to a coach like Mike McDaniel tell us something that, uh, you know, uh, it sounds a lot like BS or naivete. You take your pick. We're not so desperate to listen to that, absorb it, consume it, swallow it, and say, bring the games back. Blow the whistle. Let's go. So it really is up to people of conscience to, to confront this concussion problem that the NFL is not honest about. All right, you know, before I go on, let's listen to Mike McDaniel. And what he said last night, and then we'll bring in Burt Breer and discuss this further. Here's Mike McDaniel last night. That was an emotional moment. Um, that is not part of the deal that anyone signs up for, even though you you know it's a possibility in, in football to have something that you have to get taken off and on a stretcher. Is uh, you know all of his teammates, myself, we were all. Um, very, very concerned. So, the the best news that we could get is that everything is checked out. Um, that he didn't uh, have any anything more serious than um, a a concussion. Will be uh, he'll be flying back with us here on the plane. Yeah. Otherwise, we would have reported him having a head injury. I mean, that's that's why the NFL has these protocols. Um, and there's not. Like every single NFL game that is played, um, there's an independent specialist that specializes 
in the specialty of brain matter. So, um, yeah, the, um, for me, as long as I'm coaching here, um, if there's any, uh, you know, I'm not going to fudge that whole that whole situation. If there's um, any any sort of inclination that someone has a concussion, they go into the concussion protocol and it's very strict without, without, um, yeah, if people don't vary or stray, we, I, we don't mess with that, never have, and I, as long as I'm the head coach, that will never be um, an issue that you guys have to worry about. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. If, if, if I would have, that would be irresponsible in the first place, and I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't be in this position. I don't think that his an, an injury from last week um, uh, made him made him fall the same way this week, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I I do not have any like absolutely zero patience for or will ever um, put a put a, posi a player in a position to, um, for them to be in harm's way. All right, that's uh, Dolphins head coach, first year Dolphins head coach Mike McDaniel lost his first game last night. Dolphins three and one. Bengals come back to two and two and and look like uh, the team that we thought they would be uh, at the end of the 2021 season after they lost the Super Bowl. Here's uh, Bert Breer, one of the best football writers and commentators in the country. Uh, Bert, what did you see last night? And I know uh, you are a reporter to your core. What have you discovered today? What have you learned after uh, watching what we all saw last night? Yeah, and I, and I think it's impossible to separate this from what happened on Sunday because um, that's really what's at issue here. Um, you know, everything was followed to the rules last night. The question is, were the rules followed on Sunday? And did what happened on Sunday affect what happened last night? And I, I don't know that we'll ever get a satisfactory answer um, to the second question because, quite frankly, Michael, I don't know if medically – um, they're going to be able to draw one event to the other. What I can say is I, I think there are, are specific things that are at the heart of the issue here um, within the concussion protocol. And, and the first one, I think people have to understand this part of it because um, I'm not sure people do. There's no tube you can put a player in and just, you know, press a button and say, yes, this is a concussion or no, this isn't a concussion. Right. They aren't testing for a concussion back there. They're testing for symptoms. And so I think at the heart of the whole thing is, well, even if Tua didn't show any symptoms in the back when he was meeting with the independent neurologist or with the team doctor, why wasn't what we saw on the field considered a symptom, right? Like, in, in, in other words, him stumbling right. around on the field, why wasn't that Amen. considered a symptom? Because I think all of us, even those of us who aren't as educated on concussions would consider what we saw on the field a symptom of somebody who's concussed. So that's number one. And number two, and this is on a more granular level, if you look at the actual verbiage of the, the concussion protocol, what it says is that if there is a traumatic brain injury um, or evidence of a traumatic brain injury that's shown with gross motor instability, that's the terms, gross motor instability out there, well, then that's enough to take a guy off the field. And if you take that to the next level, you say, okay, like, like what would determine gross motor instability? It actually says in the protocol 
um, the team doctor has to identify whether or not, and it does, and for one reason or another, it says team doctor in there with the assistance of the independent neurologist. If the team doctor determines that the gross motor instability is caused by a neurological issue, then they have to come off the field. So that means the team doctor is in charge of determining whether or not it's a head injury that is causing that gross motor instability. And what the Dolphins in the league are saying and have said for the last few days is that gross motor instability that we saw was caused by a back injury and not a head injury. Wow. So how do you know that? Yeah. Right. Like, is it just because Tua said so? Right. Like, and, and, and I think like a huge, and you can't, right, Bert, is, you can't, huh? you can't take the player's word. You can't take the player's word you for can't. it. Correct. And I, and, I, and yeah, especially I mean, it's, it's like, crazy. And, and if you look at Tua's history, uh, he 100% like checks, like every box is a guy who would probably try to skirt something like this. You look at like the injuries he had in college and the toughness that he's shown in playing through things. And then, you know, kind of his place in the league and how, you know, over the first two years of his career, he felt like the organization didn't trust him, didn't believe in him. The organization tried to trade for Deshaun Watson, tried to sign Tom Brady, right? So you see all of these different things that came up earlier into his career and you could see where maybe he would be insecure with his position and then you look at the start they got off to right they start two and oh and he's playing great and they're in this huge game against buffalo and they're in it and they're fighting with the bills and like you look at that spot and then the position he plays like quarterbacks you know this as well as i do i mean you've known a lot of guys who played that position over the years michael Guys who play that position feel almost obligated to prove their toughness because they're not in harm's way as much as their teammates, right? Like, I always have to make myself available to my teammates. So you look at all those boxes, Tua checks off, and it's like, and this isn't like a a character flaw. This is actually probably a positive character thing for him. He is 100% the guy who would be untruthful in this sort of situation, right? And this is why you can't trust players in these sorts of situations because Tua is the sort of guy who in this sort of situation would probably say, ah, no, you know what? I had a back issue the last couple of weeks. That's what it is. I stumbled around because I I have a bulky back and I tweaked it and I'm good to go back out there. Um, You know, I I think that that's why, you know, there's this, this whole situation requires more questions. And I think everybody needs to be asking the question, was it the team doctor or was it the independent neurologist who made this call? Because, by the letter of the NFL's concussion protocol, the team doctor is the one who's taking the lead on this. And then, you know, yeah, on a larger point. scale, why is the team doctor? Why, why, well, like you're you're doing so much right. to put the independent neurologist in there? Why does the team doctor have power over this one? It's it, when 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 we've we've seen in the past, team doctors have been compromised, right? Like, and I just there are so many questions that when you look at the protocol, the way this was handled, the way Tua was put it back out there on the field, and then what we know also about how one head injury can lead into another head injury, especially when the time frame is so short Thank you. in between the two events. I, like that yeah. to me is like there's so many questions there, and that's why this is like a perfect storm for the league as far as it really when is. one thing leads into another leads into like it, this is a perfect storm, and I think it opens up a lot of questions, and hopefully, like this can lead us to a better concussion protocol. It's just awful that you had a player going through a tool went through last night to get there. Bert, you said the key phrase, and 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 I love you for it. A better concussion protocol so when Mike McDaniel says hey absolutely we followed the rules okay great Mike 
you're missing the point. You're glossing over that, you know, following the rules, if the rules are not set up properly, if they're not designed to get to the bottom of an issue, then yeah, you're following the rules, but you're still not investigating deeply enough. If the player is concussed, here's the other thing, Bert, with your association with Boston and, and, and mine, you know, we've been fortunate. We know Boston University has done a lot of work on head trauma and CTE, leading the mm-hmm. country in those departments and in partnership with them sometimes or as a compliment to them, you have something called the Concussion Legacy Foundation. Yep. And they've done a lot of work on concussion protocols in all sports. And mm-hmm. and some of the things, and I would just recommend that uh, that players and coaches and members of the media really get into this and educate themselves on it. Cause one of the things that is clear when Mike McDaniel made the, I thought a little snarky remark, like the way he fell, what he did on Sunday had no attachment to tonight. Yes, it did. Mike. Yes, it did. That that's one of the things you learn that once you have a concussion, the likelihood of another concussion, yeah. especially in a short amount of time is coming. Here's the other thing. With concussion protocol, we throw that out there in sports on a sports timeline. In other words, if yeah. something happens in the second quarter, we want that thing sped up. We want to figure it out, hey, figure it out quickly. Get him in the protocol so he can be back in the third quarter or right. at the end of the second. But concussions don't work that way. And if you're going to do the protocol the right way, it might be that that player is out of the game for the complete test. For the complete test, it's not always going to reveal itself in a nice, tidy 10 minutes or 15 minutes. It may take a little bit longer, or maybe there's nothing there initially, but then something else develops after 15 or 20 minutes. And we got to be patient with that instead mm-hmm. of just saying, well, he went he went to the tent, he went to the locker room. Hey, game's got about 18 minutes left. Go back out there. You're cleared. So... I mean, Bert, it, it's just, and, and I there, there's football, a lot that needs to be corrected here. And football is worse because there's only 17 games, right? And so this isn't like, you know, a Tuesday night in Sacramento for a basketball team. And I think that that raises the stakes and that probably makes the people who are charged with making the decisions less qualified to make those decisions, right? Because they're not just thinking, oh, well, we'll have him back on Thursday. In a lot of cases, because of the stakes in every NFL game, they're weighing the stakes. I, subconsciously, I guarantee you, you're weighing the stakes. Like if that was against, let's just say that's the Dolphins against the Texans, right? And, and I'm not picking on the Texans here, but the Dolphins <laughs> against the Texans in week six, and they're winning by four touchdowns, right? And it's the end of the third quarter. What happens? Does Tua go back in that game? No. Right. Yeah. Probably right, not. Right. Like, and that, right. and, and that, and that to me is like the context of it. Like you have to look at that context and I, I like, I think we'd be naive to think that the stakes don't play into this, you know, and, and in each situation, how careful you're being with other injuries too. Like how careful, like we all talked about Justin Herbert last week, right? Brandon Staley probably should have pulled him at the end of that game because why? Because and it was a blowout. He- but, but that's not a head injury. But that's not a head injury. You know what I mean? But like, yeah, but still, but it's still a bat. But it's still putting. And I'm glad you brought it up because I mean it, it's a natural transition of of guys. And you you made you made the excellent point. The quarterbacks sometimes want to go above and beyond. So I look at 
and we didn't get to it yesterday. I had Jim Trotter on. Mm-hmm. I put Justin Herbert and Mac Jones in the same category. Neither yeah. one of them with a head injury, but like this, uh, I don't know, if pressure they put on themselves, pressure that they sense that their coaches are putting on them or, or whatever it is, teammates, they're out there. Mac Jones trying to play with a high ankle sprain that should have him out for a month conservatively. Right. Justin yeah. Herbert playing with a rib injury, serious rib injury, uh, in a blowout game. Why? Why is this happening, in your opinion? I, I, it's, it's that position. You know, we saw, me and you saw it up close for 20 years here with Brady. You know, I mean, yeah. playing with a separated shoulder that was harnessed, playing with, I think he played with a high ankle sprain at one point. You know, I, I think it's sort of the ethos of that position. And, you know, like you are charged with being the most important person in the organization. You're also charged with leading the team. And how do you build credibility with your teammates, the linemen that are in hand-to-hand combat, literally on every play? Like, how are you building credibility with the people in the locker room? You're building credibility with them by making yourself available. Like, how much credibility do you think Philip Rivers built up in the Chargers organization after playing in the AFC title game on a torn ACL. That made it so yeah. no one was ever going to question him again, right? And that's Okay, that but position. no one would question him, but it also, yeah, you get credibility, but now you're creating this culture where players are, are afraid to be physically vulnerable, physically. Right. And, right. And, and they would say that, I mean, that was one of those things, you know, rest in power, Junior Seau, but yeah. some of the people would say that Seau was such a great leader, but he would be in pain, either physical or emotional pain, but he would never let anybody see it because that's right. just not what he was trying to do. And so, I mean, on one hand, that's that's great. On the other, somebody needs to be vulnerable. It's okay yeah. to be vulnerable well, and, and, you know and, what the other part and, and to keep your job. The other part of it, Michael is like when players won't look out for themselves, they need people to look out for them. And I just feel like over the last five, Mike McDaniel, I've known Mike McDaniel a a long time. Like he is as empathetic an NFL head coach as you'll find. Like he genuinely cares about people. He cares about his players. So I really believe Mike McDaniel wants to do the right thing, but he's been in this culture forever too. You know what I mean? Like, and so much of this culture of the culture of the sport, and this is at every level. Uh, and so much of the culture of the sport is if you can play, if you can physically drag yourself out there, you do it. Right. And so like, I think with the knowledge of the culture and the way that it is, players need people who are looking out for them when they won't look out for themselves, especially with stuff like head injuries that could wind up affecting who they are as people 20, 30 years down the line. And I, I think over the last four or five days, the sport of football, the NFL has probably failed to a tongue of Loa. And that's a shame because I think there are a lot of well-intentioned people like McDaniels who have no, had no intent to do that. Right. No intent to do that at all there need to be better mousetraps here and better ways of catching these sorts of things and better ways of taking the stakes out of it and making a logical decision. And I think, you know, probably on Sunday, the common sense decision was to yank him off the field. You know what I mean? Like the common sense decision was, 
he probably shouldn't be out there. And did it make it more likely that he would suffer the injury he did on Thursday? I don't know. There, well, I, I, I medically like I'll, I'll plead the I, like I'll plead the fifth on this. I, I have no idea. Uh, the fifth is probably the wrong, the wrong amendment. You know yeah, what I mean? Uh, right. I pl- I'll plead ignorance. I'll plead ignorance here. Plead like, ignorance. I, like, plead. I, I don't know. Right. I, 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 I don't know that we'll ever know medically whether or not what happened on Sunday caused what happened on Thursday night. What I do know is it didn't just, help. What I do know is yeah, it didn't and help. I just, and I think, we, right. I think looking at what happened on Sunday from a common sense perspective, when you read the NFL's own concussion protocol, leads you to a whole new set of questions. And, you know, in the end, when you're asking those questions, you see these loopholes that are in there. And I guess the big question is, after everything the NFL has been through, and after the NFL, after all the problems the NFL, quite frankly, has caused for itself, with its handling of these things in the 80s and 90s, why do these loopholes even exist? Yeah, they have a, they really have a hard time. I mean, it, recently, in the 21st century, uh, and we've got footage of it, of them saying, NFL officials saying, no, uh, we're, we're not sure that football causes any kind of head trauma or that, that yeah. we have a concussion problem. They've had a hard time just admitting that. But the thing that just really makes me cringe every time I, I hear it, from McDaniel is that, you know, he says, absolutely, 100%. I have no regrets about Sunday. Well, Mike, how can you watch that video? How do you watch that video and see him stumble around and then say, well, I have no doubt. Okay, let's say I'm mostly sure. If he said, I'm mostly sure we did the right thing, but the video is is a little scary. Or I know it doesn't look like he has a back injury, doesn't have an ankle injury. But... how do you tell you, people watching that video that that's uh, he never reached for his back, Bert? He never touched his mm-hmm. ankle. He was walking and, he, and stumbling. He was wobbling, and he, and he shook his head. It was and clear that something I, was going I, on. And I and I and I think like that's the other issue. Like the, the the to me, so the issue coming out of that too, and I think this is a huge huge part of it. Right, is. If the team doctor, if the independent neurologist, if the league office got it wrong and they know they got it wrong on Monday, are they admitting they got it wrong or are they spending the rest of the week covering for themselves? Ooh, and that to me is ooh, an operative question. question too. You know what I mean? Good like question. if if you know, if you look at it back and you're like, God, that doesn't look good. Like, are you going back and are you doubling down and saying, we need to do everything that we can to make sure that like he's okay. And we need to send him to a specialist, you know, on Monday and Tuesday. And we need to make sure like, like doubly sure. Or are you continually doubling down on it was a back injury? And yeah. if now you're talking about the independent neurologist, the team doctor, like all these people, now their jobs are on the line potentially, right? What are they doing? Are they admitting the mistake that they made in such a high profile or, situation on Sunday or are they cover, covering cover, cover, cover. something they missed? And now all of a sudden they're rolling the dice and risking that something could happen on Thursday night, like exactly what did happen. I think that's a fair question to ask and, too. And you know, Bert, look, we're talking about what we should be talking about, the lead and the sidebar and the column, uh, you know, old school newspaper terminology, all those things should be on uh Tua Tunga Vailoa and the Dolphins. They did play someone last night, yeah. and that team won. And 
uh, and that's not it's not a parallel story. But you know, just since we're in the neighborhood, uh, can we talk about the Cincinnati Bengals real quick and and what that victory means? Because I think I saw a Bengals team yeah. that looked really good and start doing some of the things that made them successful last year. What did you see? Yeah, I mean, I think the defense has played pretty well all year for them. Um, and and really, if you look at it, like if their long snapper doesn't tear his biceps, which is such a freak thing in the opener, they're three and one now, you know. And so, I think this is a team that's close to getting to where they were at the same point last year. And I think the key last night and the key against the Jets uh, four days ago, five days ago now, was the offensive line is starting to come together and you're starting to see them run the ball a little bit better. And you're starting to see Joe Burrow get a little bit more comfortable back there. Whereas early in the game, if you watched him, he looked a little sped up still. And then as the game went on, it felt like he got more comfortable playing from the pocket. And I, I, the last few weeks, I've sort of paralleled this to Kansas city last year. And and you remember early in the year last year, everybody's asking the questions, what's wrong with Patrick Mahomes and have they fixed, have they, have they solved Patrick Mahomes? Patrick Mahomes had five new offensive linemen in front of him. And it was almost identical to the situation with the Bengals where their offensive line issue in Kansas city cost them big time in the super bowl. And they just said, you know what, we're going to blow it up and we're going to start over. And because the Chiefs did that last year, they took their lumps, you know, offensively. And this wasn't the whole the whole thing, but a big part of them taking their lumps offensively last year was that they'd turned over the entire offensive line and cohesion and communication. And those things are so important at those five positions. By the end of the year, it was a team strength. So now you look at what the Bengals did. They signed Ted Karras. They signed Alex Kappa. They signed Lyle Collins. They have a rookie starting it at the other guard spot. This was always going to take time. And I think now you're starting to see that group come together. I'm not saying they're going to come together like the Chiefs did, where like by the end of the year, the Kansas City offensive line last year was a legitimate team strength and it remains a team strength now. But, I mean, you've got reason to be encouraged it's going that way now. And if that offensive line is fixed, man, like that was a good team last year with – an offensive line issue. So That's if right. they can turn that into just a good, not even a great, just a good part of their team, like they, they, they could wind up being more imposing than they were last year, which is sort of a scary thought. All right, Bert, appreciate your time, man. Always great talking football with you. You're good with the Buckeyes. You're good with the Buckeyes. Ranked that one was third. over quick on Saturday night, wasn't it? Yeah, but it's still that ranked third. Quick. I don't know now, if you heard them ju- play jump hey. around in the fourth quarter too. Yeah. Hey, but here's my problem. I got a problem, though. Georgia struggles against Kent State. Okay. Yep. Kent Our State. satellite school. Yeah. All right. And they <laughs> remain number one. And they remain one. Come on. I know. We won, by 11. we won by 11 over Notre Dame, and we fell a spot in the rankings. People forget Go that. On. Yeah. Go Buckeyes. SEC bias. Go Buckeyes. SEC, SEC bias, I know. Michael. You know that. So hey, does the sport hey, Bert, you know, they invented football. That's SEC, right. they invented football. So we got to bow down. Was, we got to defer. I thought it was created in Ohio, but a, pe- a bunch of people in the deep south that disagree <laughs> with me. <laughs> Good to see you, Bert. All right, you too. Thanks, Michael. 
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. I didn't realize the uh, New Orleans Pelicans had a new player. This guy looks like he could be pretty good. Uh, this number one looks familiar. Looks like a guy who played at Duke. Uh, I, I knew him as Zion Williamson. I don't know who this guy is. Maybe he's Zion's cousin, Zion's little brother. He's in great shape. Hmm. Wonder if he's got any game. Kurt Heelan. Pro basketball talk. Man, we gave up on Zion last year. Gave up on him. Didn't see him. Following a year, which he was great. He shot well from the field and was dominated in the paint. Could score, could board. This is Zion Williamson in all seriousness. Looks like he's in great shape. Do you think it will translate or just continue? I, I shouldn't say translate. Will continue to not last season, but the season before where he really showed what kind of game he has. I think so. Like, well, I'm hoping so. I, I think, honestly, the top of my most intriguing teams list is the Pelicans. Like, I'm not – I'm really curious what this is going to look like. I think they could have an amazing offense because C.J. McCollum comes in at the end of last year and everything kind of gels, right? You needed that veteran and a three-point shooter who could space the floor, but also just somebody who got everybody pulling the rope in the same direction. Willie Green, the coach, was doing that. Suddenly it's all working. You know, they get into the playoffs. It looks, it's fun at the end of the season. And you think, man, you add Zion to that and 20 points a night and the best in, look, what were there? Some of their issues, they couldn't get to the line. Well, Zion will get to the line, man. He's, he's He was so dominant inside. I am really intrigued. And I think when you see the side-by-sides of him, like when he's like just sitting there, you're like, my God, he looks so much better. He looks so much in shape, better shape. And, and, you know, I love Larry Nance's comment to him, which is, man, when you've got a body that's a Lamborghini, you stop, got to stop using the cheap gas. And it sounds like he's <laughs> finally getting right, man. He sounds like he that's, looks that's... in shape. We'll see what it, you know, th- I love this time of year because reports are, he's dominating scrimmages. I'm like, yeah, all right, whatever. Like, of it's course, working out against right. the, he's working out against the chair one-on-one. Like, let's wait for some actual games. But if he gets back to even what he was two years ago, let alone take a step forward off that, this Pelicans team becomes, they're interesting. That's a really interesting team. Yeah, they are. And they gave they gave Phoenix all Phoenix wanted early in that series. Then Phoenix was able to close them out without Zion. Okay, without yeah. Zion. So you, you add Zion there, you know, maybe Phoenix, they got exposed, but maybe we would have known around earlier about yeah. the problems the Suns had. But, but speaking of the West, stay out there. Anybody, uh, any team challenging the Warriors or do you still look at the Warriors and say they got it that's the team no I think the Clippers can definitely challenge them um but every other team comes with every other team comes with an if like I just I trust the Warriors when push comes to shove I know that they're going to be good I mean that was kind of it going into last playoffs for me it was like yeah on paper in theory they are the best team can they be that team in crunch time, yeah, their veterans could. They could step up, and they knew how to play in the biggest moments. We kind of knew that, but we hadn't really seen them put it together consistently over the year. They did when it mattered. 
it's kind of the same thing now with everybody else. Like Clippers, I think are absolutely. I'm, they might end up being my pick to come out of the West. But you're mm-hmm. betting on Kawhi Leonard and Paul George being healthy, and that team coalescing. It's deep. It's versatile. Well coached. Can defend. Can go big. Can go small. Like I just love everything about them. But it's a million and five questions uh, that they've got to answer. Same with Denver. Same with like you just go down the line. The West Phoenix has got all sorts of questions now. Starting with like is DeAndre Ayton happy? How do you replace Jay Crowder? Yada, yada, yada. Like, there's so many other questions. And I just trust the Warriors, right? Like, don't you, like, yeah, end of the year. Yeah. Here's going to be, hey, they won their first preseason game in Japan, Michael. I'm sure you got up at 6 Eastern to watch early preseason NBA basketball. Set the alarm. Okay, the alarm did go off at 6, but it was, <laughs> like, the kids. It was time to get the kids ready <laughs> for school. I should have just taken a pause and, and watched the Warriors for two or three minutes. No. You mentioned a million. You mentioned a million of <laughs> five questions, Kurt. Uh, let, let's go to the East Coast. A million of five questions. The Brooklyn Nets. Now, unpaid. I always say this about the Nets. Look, you got Kevin Durant, who gave you thirty points a game last year, and yeah. can shoot as well as anybody in the league. And you got Kyrie, one of the most talented guys in the league. And you got Ben Simmons, one of the most versatile players in the league. Okay, on paper you go, yeah, yeah, but they got questions, and 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 your questions, if you if you're you're naming your top two for Brooklyn for Brooklyn, what are your top two questions out of ten or twenty for the Brooklyn Nets? I think it starts with is Ben Simmons willing to play a role? Like I'm not really worried about Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant's going to be great. I think you're going to get a motivated Kyrie Irving because he learned, look, he is a free agent after this year and he learned the hard way this offseason. There's not much of a market, right? Ben Simmons, we haven't seen him in a year and now they're asking him to do something different than he did last year in, in or last time we saw him in Philadelphia. It's not a pure point forward role in an ideal world that's a little more Draymond-esque as a secondary playmaker and stuff. So is he willing to accept that role? Is it all going to work? And then the second question is just, do they have enough defense? Which right now I'm not. Mm. They've got some guys who can defend, but like you, Ben Simmons is a great defender. Nick Claxton is a really good defender. I don't know that you can actually play them together. Two non-shooting kind of big guys who have to be near the rim and suddenly it gets weird on offense. So like, I'm not sure their defense is all the way there to really contend, but I keep saying that, and then I like, yeah, they got Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Like, if if, if that if the offensive end clicks, they're going to win a lot of games and be a real problem. You know, I don't really like, uh, and we just showed a headline a few minutes ago, of Steve Nash said early in the week, I don't care if, if Ben Simmons doesn't shoot. And I'm like, Steve, oh, my God. Uh, did you watch what happened in Philadelphia? <laughs> like, that's where the problems started, and the, the problems. There was some resentment, and then we just saw eventually the whole thing mushroomed into a meltdown in the playoffs against Atlanta. I don't think Ben Simmons need to, needs to hear that from a coach. I think it's just the opposite. Uh, what do you think about this? I, I, I hate that mentality of I don't care if he shoots. I think it is. Look, I think it ultimately is a problem. Um, and it, Steve Nash is going to find it a problem as he tries to find rota- I mean, rotations that work. I mean, sure, you can say I'm putting him out there with Irving and Durant and Joe Harris and Seth Curry, and I can find shooting and, and you know, 
in certain lineups. But when you get to the playoffs, it's a problem. And remember, the shooting problem wasn't just he wasn't taking jumpers. He was afraid to go to the free throw line. That's why he's dishing off dunks, right? Like, he doesn't want to get fouled. It's in his head about the free throws. Maybe that's fixed. But I'm let's put it this way. If I'm an opposing team, I don't preseason game this year. It's close late, and Ben Simmons has got the ball. You're going to the line. I'm like, you got to prove no to me you can start hitting that thing. I'm, I got a lot of questions. Like I said, there's just so many questions about this team, but I think that Nash is going, at some point, man, I mean, Joel Embiid shooting threes. Like, you, you, you got to be able to step out a little. Jonas Valanciunas takes two a game. Like, if you're not stepping out, like, it's a problem. You know, you, you said you know the Warriors are going to be good, and rightfully so. They got the best player in the league right now. We agree. Best player in the league. Second. Ooh. Second. Who's one? Giannis. Giannis is just a better player right now. Giannis. And, and it, with, all, all right. with all due respect to Curry, who I, I get even Giannis came out and said, look, he led his team farther. He's the best player. Giannis is a better player right now. Best player walking the face of the earth. Okay, because I have I have Curry at one, Giannis at two. So what what is Giannis? Is it just the size? Defense. Defense. I think. I think. I think. Yeah, I think it's. I think that's the real difference. It's. I mean, Curry warps the game in a different way because I mean, you've got to double him thirty-five feet from the basket, and we endless talk about his gravity and everything. I don't want to take anything away from that, but. Giannis kind of warps it differently and his just athleticism getting to the rim, but where he really changes the game is the other side. That that defense just on a, on a team of long defenders is a problem. And I think that that, to me, that's that's where I would, that's where I would differentiate those two. Hey, now check, check out my, uh, check out my top 10 here. Wait, I'm, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of it, especially number 10. Everybody always forgets about number 10. Jim, Jimmy Butler. Uh, who who would you change around? Who would you take out of my top ten and put in? I probably well, my first thought was that is that playoff Jimmy Butler or regular season Jimmy Butler? Because playoff Jimmy Butler is that guy. But February I'd Jimmy Butler all may the, not be. I'm gonna say all the time Jimmy Butler. I'm gonna go dreadlock Jimmy Butler. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll I go love ahead. that he did that just to F with people. Just like, you know what? I'm gonna get yeah. people talking. I'm just gonna show up. <laughs> he said, "I'm gonna make the internet mad." That's funny. Exactly. So, um, so is LeBron too low? How about Bron? Is he too low at eight? I, I actually, the first guy I'd bump up to, I would. I think Luke is gonna step up. I, I get Kevin Kevin Durant at three, despite the last two years of, of or last year of injuries and stuff, because when rolling. He is still Kevin Durant, but I'd probably have Luca four, and I, I don't know that I. I kept look thinking about it, but I don't know that I'd move LeBron up only because I think this is the year Tatum, kind of moves past him. I think LeBron, LeBron is still an elite game changing talent, but even he's in Los Angeles right now. I mean, I wrote about it. Everybody's written about it. Anthony Davis has to carry the load. This is Anthony Whoa, Davis is good luck. Now. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, exactly. Hey, if they can get bubble Anthony Davis for 65 games, great. But good luck with that, oh, like you said. Forget it. But Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, if you get that, you get that, you're in good shape. And, you know, um, you know, looking at that list, 
and you said, you know, why is Luca where he is? It, it kind of goes back to what you said about Giannis, that he's such a game changer defensively, you bump him yeah. up. On the opposite, Luca, I feel like is so bad on defense. I think he's a bad defensive player, flat out. Not not average. I think he's a bad defender. So I'm gonna bump him down. He's amazing. He's transcendent offensively. Bad defensively. He is bad. I think he's a little better than maybe you can regret. Part of it is that he does okay to me defensively in a team setting more. Just because he's six eight. You kind of forget he's six eight, right? Like he's just yeah, kind of big yeah. and long and, and he's not he just covers some ground because of his size. He's not obviously a very good defender. And we'll see. We'll see what I'm really curious to see him. I think, you know, look, I, he's the MVP betting favorite over points bet. Like he's, he's going to, I think, have a monster year and partially because he's coming out of Eurobasket, right? Kind of like Draymond with the Olympics and some of the other guys who came out of the Olympics last year where they, they're in shape. They've been playing at a high level. They come in a little more, more game ready to start the season than the guys who are kind of figuring, you know, treating training camp like veterans tended to treat training camp. Like, I think Luca's going to be off to a faster start than he has been. And I think he's in a little better shape than he has been. And we'll, we'll see. I think, I think he's ready for a, look, he's, I think he's going to have a really good year. I, th- I don't know if I'm going to pick him for MVP, but I get why he's a betting favorite. All right. So last thing. And, and look, we, it's a long season. It's still technically September, so feel free. This is a this is a fluid document. This is our on-air Google Doc, Kurt. We can cut. You can go go in, go in, change it. Hey, Kurt Heelan has made some changes. Uh, Michael yeah. Holly has made changes. We can see it on the doc. But right now, last day of September, your NBA champion is the Milwaukee Bucks. Oh, I, I, I think that right now they're the team I trust the most in the East. I look, I think Brooklyn can get there. I think Boston can get, they would have looked two weeks ago. I would have said Boston, honestly. Whoa. And now I'm, I'm, I'm a little more, I'm just, that's a different, that's a different offline conversation. <laughs> yes, it is. I, I, that's it. That is a, uh, I'm, I got reasons to think that that could haunt them longer. So. Uh, oh, I'm oh, hundred percent. Hundred yeah. percent with you, one thousand percent. So and a lot of people don't think that, but I do. Yeah, I think. And the West, look, the Warriors are going to be good, and they're they're the team to beat. The, I, I can't. I, I'm tempted to pick the Clippers, but I just can't. I just like I just can't pick the Clippers for yeah. like, man. I you know I've lived in Los Angeles. I I going back to Smith and him blowing out his knee in the '80s and all through like this is. Been such a franchise that even with all due respect to Steve Ballmer's Danny Manning, Danny Manning, like on and on down the line, Lamar <laughs> Odom that. demanding to be graded, like it just on down the line. Yeah. I just different era. He is give Ballmer credit, not just spent money, but it spent it wisely to change the perception of a franchise around the league. Clippers are now a destination. They're considered player friendly, great facilities. Got it. Building a new building. I can't. Just, I just can't. Denver can't would it. be, Denver would be fun, but I can't get there. So, I still, I'm just going to take the best team out of the East and say the Bucks. Well, hey Kurt, we appreciate you. And you, speaking of scenery, I feel like I want to go to a spa now. Seeing your <laughs> background, I am now 
at peace. You know, I'll take, I'll put a mask on, get a little mask, maybe put some, you know, cucumbers over and just be one with the universe. I love that room. I love it. I am leaving this to do a mud bath. So I'm with you. (laughs) Okay, go ahead and do it. Enjoy your mud bath this weekend. We'll catch up with you soon. Thank you. I look forward to it, Mike. Take care, buddy. Oh, even though my voice is compromised, my mind is not. It is time for my bets, your money. I just want to point out on the season, I'm winning 70% of the time. I'm putting money in your pockets and let's continue. It's the theme is let's go with the dogs because we look at some of these games here, away teams getting points that are irresistible. The Titans who won last week taking on the Colts. They're getting three and a half. Let me tell you, go with the Titans. You get that three and a half. That's a bonus because the Titans are going to win this game quite easily. Jaguars and Eagles. Doug Peterson, the statue Peterson returns to the city where his statue is Philly special. It's going to be a special day for the Jags. They get six and a half. Go with the Jags Patriots and Packers. I can't believe it's nine and a half. At one point it was ten and a half. We should have done it when it was ten and a half. But anyway, uh, Patriots will lose a game, but get, take that nine and a half. Good shape. Patriots nine and a half over the Packers Chiefs and Bucks. I don't believe in the Bucks. I like the Chiefs Rams and Niners. Can you explain this to me? Can you explain how the Rams are getting a point and a half? Why? They're going to blow out the 49ers. They're going to blow them out. Give me the Rams. I'm feeling another four and one week. I'm feeling kind of four and one. My bets, your money. Don't bet the house, but bet. A nice little change, a nice little piece of change. Scare money doesn't make money. And we'll meet back here on Monday. See how we did. Oh, I'm feeling good. I'm on a hot streak. Brother from another. Enjoy your weekend. We'll see you Monday. All right. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.